0: Well, like I said, I'm I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach, and it's a great privilege for me. But it's often difficult explaining to people uh, what I do. And just a couple of months ago, my daughter asked me, she's like, "What do you really do at church, Monday to Friday?" And um, I think she just thinks I attend like a long, endless worship service, right? But um, so I was trying to explain to her some of the things that I do, and I said, "Well, I do this and that." uh, sometimes I meet with people, we, we talk about God and the Bible, and they ask questions. And she said, what questions? So I said, well, that is, is a great topic, right? I think someone should write a book, Questions People Ask Pastors. I, I had someone who asked me once, do you prefer weddings or funerals? How do you answer that question? <laughs> I can't. But anyway, they really did ask that question. But the number one question people ask me is how do I know God's will for me, right? How do I hear his voice for a decision that I have to make? Now, last week, uh, Damien Chesson, one of our elders, he preached from Acts 1 and just the church in Acts 1, and really just a great, a great sermon, a great introduction to Acts and Simon Peter working through Acts. I really recommend you go back and listen to that. But at the end of chapter 1 is this strange account of Judas, who betrayed Jesus, being replaced. Uh, And how they did that was by casting lots. So what that would have looked like is they would have had a bag, uh, probably like an old little leather bag, and had some stones and, you know, written on them sort of the two decisions they had to make, put them in the bag, and they trusted the Lord's sovereignty that as they dipped their hand in, they pulled out whatever stone it was. That was... The Lord's choice now the other examples of this Uh, in the Old Testament you have the story of Jonah where they cast lots to determine who was responsible for the storm the story of of Achan uh, as well who was responsible for the sin Uh, so that's how it worked this is kind of Lego did a a remake of it so there you go so a bag pulls it out and he's shouting Matthias I think the guy next to him must have been Joseph because he's got like he looks sad But anyway, that's what it would have looked like. The question is, why don't we do that now? Surely it's a lot easier, right? Imagine this. There's two girls that you're kind of interested in. You think, which one am I going to marry? Is it Jessie or Sally? So I don't know. You write their names on a rock. You put it in a bag and, ah, Sally, there you go, done. Wouldn't that just be a lot easier? Or maybe you like, you think of us as a church. We're looking for a new senior pastor. Let's just riddle it down to two names. We put it in the bag, pull it, up, oh, done. Wouldn't it be easier? Land across the road. Stay, go, in a bag. Oh, that's what we're going to do. Wouldn't that be easier? Now, if we stopped... At Acts 1, then you'd probably be right to think this way. But we don't. Thankfully, we have Acts 2. So, what is it that happens in Acts 2 that changes everything? Well, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. It is God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus now dwells within us. So we don't need to cast lots anymore. We have the Spirit. To lead us, So that's how we're going to look at this passage today. Uh, we're going to look at two questions. One, we're going to look at the difference the Holy Spirit made to Simon Peter. And then we're going to look at the difference the Holy Spirit makes in us. So firstly, the difference the Holy Spirit made in Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter had already been called to pastoral ministry. The Lord took this, this really rough fisherman and called him to be a pastor, Simon Peter was already chairing church meetings. He was already guarding the flock with the word of God. He was already leading the disciples in prayer. But more was needed. And Jesus had plainly said to Peter on the night before he died, he said, listen, the Holy Spirit has been with you, but now he will be in you. This permanent state of the Spirit indwelling us. So this wasn't a new experience, but it was this new depth, this new consistency, this new dimension to the Spirit. You see, Simon Peter, he had been known as the reed, right? That's what Simon can mean. He was blown back and forth. He would sway one way to the other. He would open his mouth, and then he would run away. He had been afraid of a little servant girl who had said to him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he was like, no, not me, please, it's not me. And now, that same Simon Peter, who was afraid then, this is the same Simon Peter who's now full of the Spirit, and this is what he says. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. All house of Israel. He's speaking to Everyone. This guy who was afraid of one little girl is now has the courage and the boldness to stand up in front of everyone. And this is what he tells them. He says, Jesus is Lord and Christ. Now, Christ is a Greek word which means Messiah, Savior. And the Jews had been praying and they'd been waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, to come and rescue them and save them. And Jesus is that. He showed them that he's that, but he's more. He's Lord as well. And we need him to be both in our lives, both Lord and Christ. You see, Lord is, is a word that means king. Jesus is king of kings. You don't only need a savior, but you have a new king, and he calls you to follow him, to obey him, That is bold preaching, right? If you think about who he's talking to, that is bold preaching. Then Peter ups it a little bit. He takes it even more, and he he uses this three-letter word that really provokes. He says this, you, whom you crucified, he puts the responsibility on them. They wanted him dead, right? You wanted to kill Our Lord and Messiah, you were the ones who were shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Now just before we think we're any better, we need to know that we're, we're included in that you. You see, we might not have actually been there shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! But the truth is, it is your sin that put Him there that put him on the cross. You see, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to lead us into all truth. And he reveals the truth about who we really are. And it takes courage to speak the truth at times. Uh, One of my favorite Bible teachers is, he's now passed away, but he's an old Baptist preacher from from England called David Pawson. And he wrote his book, his autobiography, called Not As Bad As The Truth. And the reason he called it that was because there was a a time in his ministry where all these doors were being closed because these rumors were being spread about him, that he was teaching this and he was saying that, where he wasn't. And this this totally frustrated him, and he went to the Lord in prayer, and he was pouring out his heart. He says, Lord, look, doors of ministry are being closed by these rumors that are not true. And as he was praying, he felt the Lord say to him, listen, whatever they say about you is not as bad as the truth. And he said, when he heard that, he began to laugh. (laughs) It's like, Lord, thank you that whatever they say about me is not as bad as the truth. Thank you that they don't know the whole truth. But then he went on and he said, he felt like the Lord said to him, I know everything about you. And I still love you and I'll still use you. But there is a part where we need to know the truth about ourselves. Because the truth is actually the thing that sets you free. You see, Simon Peter lied when a servant girl asked him, are you one of Jesus' disciples? But now the Holy Spirit is, and Peter has this boldness. Peter is becoming the rock, this stable, reliable, bold figure that Jesus said he would be. See, the truth is, it's because of your sin and my sin that Jesus had to die. Your sin is ugly. It's that ugly. There's a, there's a hymn that goes, it was my sin that held him there. I'm responsible. You know, we, we're living in a cultural moment right now that doesn't like taking responsibility. We don't like being told, you're responsible. You own it. We, we want to blame others or it's someone else's fault. And yet Peter does that. He puts the responsibility on them and it sets them because what was their response? I don't know if you try this this week, but if, if you put the blame on someone, often what you're met with is defensiveness. No, that's not me. Or you, they just plain offended. Or you get the third reaction, and this is it. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And, Peter, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. This wasn't, this wasn't a moment in their mind where suddenly the gospel makes sense and they go, oh yeah, okay, I've worked it out now. You see, the gospel's not, a, not an intellectual thing to be solved. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And that's where the truth comes in. And the truth, when you know it's true, it cuts to the heart. It stings, right? It hurts. I can remember a few years ago, uh, this was when I was at Watermark in Hong Kong. I was sitting around a table with a group of leaders. And they were men that I love and trust and respect. And we were going around kind of affirming some of the things that we really uh, appreciated about each other's leadership. And then we, we spoke about some things that maybe we needed pointing out. And I remember one, one of the guys, everyone else had sort of said sort of nice, half-hearted things. And then it got to this guy and he said, when I see you, I don't believe you're genuine when you're with people. You come across as disingenuous. And I have to be honest, it stung. It stung. Not because of what he said wasn't true, because he was, it was true. I know there are times that when I'm with people, I fake it and I pretend I love being with them and the truth is I don't. And you know, that moment, it hurt. The truth hurt. But from that moment, I was determined, Lord, that's true. But your word tells me, let love be genuine. And I pray all the time, Lord, let my love be genuine. I prayed it this morning before, before we gather. I said, Lord, I'm gonna interact with people today. Help me, let my love be genuine for these people. But you know that's a good thing. It is a good thing because when it hurts and it cuts to our hearts, it reveals that we need rescuing, we need saving from ourselves, and that's exactly what they realize. They go, This is true, we are responsible. And then it leads to this great question, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? We know we're responsible, but what should we do about it? And and the way Peter responds, this is awesome, right? If anyone asks you, What should we do in response to the gospel? Listen to Peter's response. This is what he said, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Simon Peter says, you, you want in on this kingdom? You want in on this kingdom? He had three things. Number one, repent, repent, repent. Now, imagine the people that Simon Peter's telling this to, right? These are the same people he's been afraid of, the same people that have the power to throw him in prison, and yet he tells them, no, you need to repent. Now, repentance is not feeling bad for your sin. It's not remorse. The Greek word for repent is metanoia, which means to change one's mind and purpose. It literally means think differently afterwards. It's changing how I think and how I see my sin. Right, I suddenly see it from God's perspective, not my mate's perspective, not the world's perspective. I see it from God's perspective that he is a holy, righteous, perfect God, and he knows every thing about me, everything that I've done, everything that I've said, everything I've thought. He knows it all, and I will one day have to stand before him. And repentance will just lead you to change the way you think about that. But more than that, repentance is something that you do. You do. Uh, Again, this is another illustration from from David Pawson, same book he wrote about uh, not as bad as the truth. He describes this time in his ministry in the church where he just felt like everyone he spoke to was coming with problems. Every person he spoke to, this problem, that problem. And he just thought to me, does everyone just have problems? And what he began doing was asking them, tell me how you came to Christ. Tell me how did you come to know him. And what he discovered was that a lot of people had never been taught repentance. They'd only ever been told, believe in Jesus. They'd never been taught repentance. And once he began to teach them, he says, have you ever heard of what repentance is, what it means? He said, suddenly it changed. These people began to see the problem in light of that. They began to take ownership for the things they needed to take ownership from. And their problems were brought into perspective. You know, John the Baptist, he was very clear. You go to Luke 3. And he tells these people, he goes, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So the people hear that and they go to John and they say, well, what what does that look like for us? And first the the crowds come and they say, "Well, well, what does repentance look like for us, John? And he says, well, put it this way. If you've got two tunics, you've got two fancy coats, Share with those who have none. If you've got a lot of food, share with those who have none. In other words, don't be greedy. Don't hoard it all for yourself. Give it away. And then the tax collectors come, right? You can see how intense this is getting. First the crowds, then the tax collectors. And they also came and they said, hey, listen, we want to be baptized, but you tell us we need to repent. What, what does repentance look like for us? And John says, collect no more than you authorized to do. Don't steal. Don't be greedy. And then finally, the soldiers come, right? Intimidating. Come before John. Well, John, what does repentance look like for us? And John says, don't not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Don't use your position of power and authority to, to steal and, and manipulate people into getting stuff. Don't do that. Be content with what you have. What a message, right? That's bold preaching right there. Be content with what you have. The second thing Peter tells them to do is be baptized. Now, this is one of the first commandments that we're given as believers. We're to be baptized. Now, baptism is both a bath and a burial. Now, when do you have a bath? When you're dirty, right? When you realize that you're dirty, stinky, and smelly, and you need cleaning up. And Jesus has given us the perfect picture. But more than that, he says, when you go, it's kind of like your funeral. When you go down in those waters, you are dying to your old self. And then he does this beautiful thing. He goes, but when you come up out of the waters, you, you don't just identify with Christ's death and his burial. As you come up, you identify with his resurrection life. You identify with with the promise of eternal life. What a beautiful picture. But it is a commandment. And the third one, he says, you will receive the gift. Don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything. It will be given to you. You know, in the Greek, there's no article, right? It's not the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible is it the Holy Spirit. It's just Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will be given you. Now, I'm not sure if, you've, if some of us, we've heard of the Roman road. Like, you meet someone, you take them through the Roman road. Well, this one I like to think of as the Peter package. This is the gospel, how you lead people. I think it's got the Trinity in it, you know? Repent towards God the Father, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son, and receive the Holy Spirit. Trinity's right there from the beginning. And it's as if Peter, he suddenly got this courage right? And he just couldn't stop, and he just keeps going, right? Do you, do you know preachers like that? But like that you're just thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I hope he lands the plane soon. When will he stop? And he just keeps going. So Peter's like that. He goes, he says, listen guys, this promise is for everyone, for everyone. Your children who are far off. Now there he's talking about the Gentiles, Right, they thought this was just a Jewish thing. No, this is for the Gentiles too. The gospel needs to go out everywhere. Don't you understand that the, the wall of hostility between you and God is now being brought down? There is peace with God for everyone. Peter has just blown this whole thing wide open. And this is what it says. In verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's pretty effective preaching. Uh, You know, it's been said today that most preachers preach 3,000 sermons for one person to be saved. Peter gets up, he preaches one sermon, 3,000 get saved. So we might need a lot more chairs. Um, But actually, it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Right, Damien taught us last week. It's God's kindness and His grace that He uses us. He does use us. He partners with us, but it is, it is through Peter's message, through the Holy Spirit in Peter that God brought about salvation. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, year thousands of years before, God gave the law, gave the Ten Commandments and the law on Mount Sinai. That same day, that God gave the law. Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he found the people worshiping the golden calf. And it says 3,000 people died. They died for punishment for their sins. Thousands of years later, Pentecost comes. Peter stands up, preaches this message. 3,000 people come to life. The Spirit gives life. You know, on that day, the church was born in power in power. But also what we're seeing in Simon's life is that he is becoming more and more and more like Peter, the rock that Jesus said he could be. The Lord was transforming his heart. And you know what? He does the same for us too, if we let him. So let's have a look. The difference the Holy Spirit makes in us. Now, what you'll notice about this passage is that once they responded to the gospel, it didn't stop there. It wasn't like, okay, now you're saved, job done, let's move on. No, actually, that was just the beginning. It was just the beginning, and they, their lives were changed. And they were suddenly devoted to different things. The things that they had been devoted to, the Lord changed and gave them this love and this devotion to new things in their life. You know, the same thing happens for us when we become believers the Lord puts new desires in your heart, new things that you want to give yourself to. I can remember, for me, I was, I was 21 when I became a believer. I was at university, and up until that point, I, I really loved going out with my mates uh, on a Wednesday night it was students' night, and we'd go out night clubbing, and I loved that. And I remember then I became a Christian, and I was like, okay, now what can, what can't Christians do? Still trying to work this thing out. So I went with a run with a, a Christian friend of mine, and uh, that's, that's probably where I process most of my, my the- theology is what I'm running. And so I turned to him. We're about three Ks into this run. I said, Mark, that was his name. Like, You've got to tell me, can Christians go to nightclubs? And then he did this weird thing, and he said, I don't know. What you need to do is ask the Lord if that's his will for you. I'm like, okay, great, that doesn't help. Now I've got to talk to God and he's going to tell me these things. I don't know how that kind of works. But I did. As a new believer, I went and I prayed and it was this really simple kind of crude prayer. Lord, am I allowed to go to nightclubs kind of thing? And nothing happened. But about a week later, a friend of mine phoned me on Wednesday night and said, hey, we're going clubbing tonight. I'll pick you up. And you know, in that moment, I just had zero desire to go. I couldn't think of anything worse. I didn't want to go. And I said, no thanks. And you know what? I've never been since. Never been since. Now, that doesn't mean that's God's will for everyone, but that's how he spoke to me. And what he did do is suddenly give me this desire for other stuff. Suddenly, instead of being devoted to that, I was, I was devoted to going to church I was was devoted to going to community group and to prayer meetings. And I wanted to. I couldn't wait to be there. Now, in this passage, this is what it tells us. He said they were devoted to four things. Uh, Number one, the apostles' teaching. Number two, fellowship. And number three, breaking of bread. And number four, the prayers. Teaching. You know, when you go under someone's teaching, it means you're a learner, right? It's kind of like going back to school. Uh, and the truth is we 're all being taught or discipled by something, whether you realize it or not, you are it 's the programs you watch it 's the books you read it 's the advertising you see they all teaching you something, teaching you how to live. but when you become a believer, you go, "No, no, I want to be taught in, in god 's word. I want to find out your way that i 'm meant to live a new way you know i 've I've met, uh, I've come to know people who've come to know Jesus later in life, and they're often very clever, well-educated, they know so much, they've been to so many places, but when they become a believer, they say, I feel like a baby, I feel like I'm learning all over again, and I'm so hungry for it, I want to know His way, I've lived my life this way, but I want to know what He has for me, and they just can't get enough of it of learning to do things God's way. The second thing that they were devoted to was fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, but I think fellowship is such a Christian word. We don't really use it outside of the church much, do we? Now, for some reason, I know I'm a bit weird, but I kind of imagine it like a, it's, it's a British word, something like that the queen would use. Would you like to come for some fellowship and tea? It's, it's, it's just got that ring about it, right? But, but we can kind of mean it to be just hanging out. Come over for some fellowship. But it doesn't mean that. It's not just about hanging out. It's so much deeper than that. It's about doing life together. It's about really wanting to get to know other people, carry their burdens, care for them. You know, when when you let the Holy Spirit get hold of your life, He deepens your relationship. You suddenly change from not just me, my family, my tribe. Suddenly your heart is open to people. And you care about other people that you shouldn't even care about, but you do. That's the Spirit's work in your life. And he said, they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to this. Third thing, breaking of bread. Isn't it wonderful that we have a religion that is so based around food? It's just a wonderful thing, right? And it means that they ate together, but it wasn't just about sharing food. In those days when they did communion, when they remembered the Lord's Supper, it was a meal. It wasn't just a little piece of bread and some juice. It was a meal. And they ate this meal in light of the cross. They would remember what Jesus has done and they would celebrate it and encourage one another in it. You know, we do that in a very, very, very small way when we say grace before a meal, right? We're kind of remembering who gave us that that food, and remembering the light of the cross. Now, uh, a week ago when we did Guess Who's Coming for Dinner, it, it was a little bit like the breaking of bread. We, we got to meet people we didn't know. We heard about their stories and what Jesus is doing in their life, and then we finished the evening by praying for one another. Talking about prayer, the fourth thing that they were devoted to was the prayers. Now this time, there is the article. It's the prayers. This was a, a custom that they would inherited from Judaism, right? There were set times every day that they would pray. There were set prayers that they prayed. And they were devoted to these things. But the most important thing to take away is that their lives were devoted to prayer, to knowing God, to seeking Him. I don't know about you, but this week... I read and I reread and I reread this passage. And the question that just came to me every time was, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? If someone had to follow you around for a month, let's just pretend for a moment you're a reality TV star. You wake up in the morning and there's a camera on you and they follow you, right? You go to the bathroom and hopefully they stay outside the bathroom, but they're following you all the time. They watch when you have breakfast. They watch what you do with your day. They watch what you, you're looking at on your phone. After a month, what would they say you're devoted to? What would they say you're devoted to? Would, would these four things come up? And I'm speaking to myself. Would one of these four things come up? Or would they say, you know what, gee, that guy, he's... He's really devoted to Facebook or he's really devoted to Netflix or he's really devoted to his job. You know, the amazing thing is as the church did these things, as the spirit gave them this new love, this new love for to be devoted to different things, this is what happened. This is what happened in the church. It says, and all came upon every soul. That word can also mean fear. There's this, there's this growing reverence for God to understand that he's, he's holy, he's, he's majestic, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords. He's not just this religious person that we serve. No, he can be known and they grow in awe for him. It says they, they sold their possessions and they shared. Right? Like Honestly, who does that? Who does that, right? I don't know about you, but most people, and me included, all we want to do is get stuff, right? We get a whole bunch of stuff, and in fact, then we start wanting two of everything. Our goal is to get, 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 get. And here, these people, what did they do? They sold and gave away. Who intentionally does the opposite? Only when the Spirit gets hold of you. It says they, they met daily in the temple. Daily they would make a connection with other believers. Guys, we struggle sometimes to meet once a fortnight. They met daily. You know, that's the Spirit's work in us. You know, it takes that thing of of our natural selfishness, our natural greediness, and it turns it into gratitude and generosity, generosity, And they weren't weren't depressed about it. They weren't unhappy about it. You can see suddenly their lives, they received it with grateful hearts. And it led to this praise to God. They didn't feel that they had less. They were a church that was full of the Spirit and they had more. And finally, the Holy Spirit sets them on mission. There's this successful witness where it says they, they started seeing daily people added to the church. Now, I I hope and I pray that this is our desire as a church, that we would long to see this, where we long to see people added to his church, that our goal is not just for comfort and stuff. No, Lord, we, we know that you have us here for a purpose, and we want to see people come to know you. And you know, the Lord loves to add people to a church, to a church that loves him and loves others, the question we have to ask is, do we want to be part of a church like that? Because the truth is, we can't do it on our own. It's uncomfortable. It's not natural. But when the Spirit comes, and He gets hold of us, He leads, He guides us. It's what we want to do. You know, the early church, they didn't have any great buildings to meet in. They didn't have any modern tech. They didn't have any air conditioners or heaters. They didn't have any YouTube channels. They had very little organization. They didn't have any seminaries to send people to. But they had the Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. And it's this crazy thing. In less than 30 years, this gospel spread over the known civilized world. In 30 years, and it it wasn't like everyone loved the church and greeted them wherever they went. No, they were under constant threat, under constant danger, under constant persecution, but they did it by the Spirit's power. I want us to go back just for a second to that whole thing of casting lots. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I just want a yes or a no. Lord, just tell me yes or no. Just tell me left or right, and I'll do it. That's kind of what I want. But he wants you. He wants you. He wants to draw closer to you. And as a church, we're called to seek him through prayer and fasting and trusting his spirit. But the goal is not just for him to tell us which way to go. He does that, but the goal is to make us more like His Son, to make us more Christ-like. You know, as a church, we're facing some some pretty big decisions, and and there was a few months ago, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but a couple of months ago, all all I wanted to do is, Lord, I just want to go to sleep for six months and wake up six months later, and all this will be done with, right? Have you ever had that? Maybe it's just me. But you kind of, you kind of just wish these massive decisions and stuff you were facing you could go to sleep with and just miss them. But if you think like that, you're actually missing what the Lord is trying to do, what he's trying to do in us. You know, the Psalms say, seek my face. Seek my face. Now that, that is weird because a face can't do anything for you. A face can't make you a cup of tea. A face can't do the garden work. But you're known by your face, right? If you have loved ones that you carry pictures of them in your wallet to show people or to look at occasionally, you don't have pictures of their hands and feet. That would be weird. You have pictures of their face because that's how you know them, that's how you think of them. And God's calling us seek my face. And the truth is, so often all we want to seek is his hands. Just do stuff for us, God. And he says, seek my face. I know many of us are facing big personal decisions, big things that we're wrestling with. And if you're not now, you will. (laughs) There will come a time in your life where you're going to wrestle with some decisions. And the Lord's not withholding his guidance from you. But what he does want to do is draw you to himself. And you know, as he does that, he will challenge you. He will ask you, what are you really devoted to? He will challenge you. But more than that, he wants to change you into the image of his son. He wants you to know that he loves you and he cares for you. You know, this chapter begins with the disciples being filled with the Spirit. But the question isn't how much of the spirit have you got. The real question is, is how much has the spirit got of you? How much does he have of you? Because we can quench the spirit. You know, in this passage it says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, and he's this beautiful Savior it takes our sin, our dirtiness, our ugliness upon Himself. And He gives us His righteousness. But it doesn't end there. He calls us to follow Him as Lord, as King. And I think the truth is there are times in my life where I'm, I'm very grateful He's my Savior. But I can be very reluctant to, to follow Him as Lord. Is He your Lord? Will you follow him? You know, he has given us all things. All things he's reminded of us, of his love for us, his care for us, his desire for us. But I do believe he wants to draw us into himself, to know him. And as we know him and enjoy him and treasure him, then ministry will flow out of that. We will be that kind of church how I'd like us to to finish this morning is to just take a minute between you and God, no one else, but to bow your heads and ask the Lord, Lord, are there areas of my life where I'm just not letting the Spirit get hold of me? Or maybe there's things in your life that you're devoted to that you know that you shouldn't be devoted to and ask him, ask him to enable you to give you a love for the things that he wants you to be devoted to. Let's do that now. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside us, that leads us into all truth. Father, I pray that you forgive me and I pray that you forgive us where we've quenched your spirit. Where we haven't allowed you to be Lord of our lives. Lord, I ask you to forgive us where we've been a church, where we we haven't truly sought you with all our hearts. Lord, we've asked that your hands may move, but we haven't sought your face. Lord, I pray, help us to know you. Help us to know your love for us. Help us to know that if you are for us, who can be against us? Lord, help us to hand over those things that we need to hand over to you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen. Church, will you stand with me?